This NBA season, make every three-pointer, alley-oop, and buzzer beater even more exciting with FanDuel. You can bet on everything from first baskets and number of dunks to which player will drain the most threes. Or stack your bets with the same game parlay for a shot to win even bigger. It's quick, easy, and you'll get your winnings fast. So download the app today and see why we're North America's number one sportsbook. Make every moment more with FanDuel. 19 plus and physically located in Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-866-531-2600 or visit connectsontario.ca. Hey, how's it going? Samson Folk here with the Raptors Weekly Podcast. In this episode, a very special one because I'm bringing on a dear, dear friend. Somebody I talk to, I guess, every day for many, many days in a row. And somebody who is commentary on basketball, I find insightful. His jokes and memeage, I find just cutting edge. Hoop Goose, uh, a person who crafted a, a Twitter account where he talked about basketball. And the result was him saying, well, I'm from Canada. And I guess that... Uh, the Canadian goose is a signifier of such. So how else will I communicate that I'm a Canadian guy who loves basketball besides the hoop goose uh, name, the figurehead? How's it going, man? I'm great. And I, I love that intro. It really paints me as a man of the people. <laughs> yeah. Well, a man of the yeah. people, absolutely. And so we talked this summer and we just because you have so many interests around basketball that go beyond the Raptors. And we talked about the draft. And we also talked a little bit about uh, the Pascal Siakam discourse, the Pascal Siakam dialogue that was going on about what the Raptors should be doing and how the roster was constructed heading into next year. And you and I were kind of on the same periphery with slight uh, disagreements around what his future might look like. And now we're sitting here, you know, like maybe six, seven months removed from that. And now we're having this conversation what do you think about, in the short form, the Raptors so far this year, and maybe uh, anything that surprised you as far as what they've built and how it's turned out? Well, I think you and I were pretty close on what we expected the Raptors to be, mm -hmm. which was not very good. <laughs> and I think in terms of that, we've been, I think, wrong, per se, because I feel mm -hmm. like the entire core has kind of overperformed this year, like, well, relative to what you expect, I think Fred has been better than at least what I thought. Uh, Pascal has been better than what I thought. Gary has definitely been better than what I thought. <laughs> Even guys like Scotty and Precious, I think, have overperformed what people expected. Uh, OG too, he's been he's been good. So it's like maybe we maybe underestimated the amount of growth that would happen, or maybe how much Tampa was holding them back. But I think they've they've been better than what I expected at least. Yeah, that makes sense. I think if you're saying Pascal, Fred, that whole glut of guys is overperforming relative to what you expected. I think that Fred is certainly over, like he not overperforming, I guess I wouldn't say. He's improved. He's improved to a point that I didn't see coming. Pascal is about where I would have expected as far as impact. Um, but I'm obviously somebody who's been really high on Pascal for a long time. OG may be coming in a little bit under where I might have expected. But that doesn't mean he hasn't improved. There's still a lot of markers that he's hitting that he was supposed to hit with this extra usage. And then, as you say, like Scotty and Precious and Gary, those guys just obviously, as far as what they're giving, you know, it oscillates between the three of them. But defensively and offensively, there's a lot of punch that they're giving that 
uh, wasn't expected. So as far as them being better than not so great, is there anything you're expecting, you know, heading into the the rest of the season that you want to see change for this team to kind of see out these overperformances or improvements that the regular guys on the roster have made? Well, we were, we were, I, th- I think I, we were right that the bench kind of sucks because it does. So I think, <laughs> <laughs> so I think just adding this some sort of help there so that the lead doesn't like, the points just bleed when the starters are off the floor and then they have to work hard. And then everyone on Twitter calls them chokers or fake comeback people. So I feel, I feel like, (laughs) I feel like it'd be nice if we just had some bench reinforcements or maybe the bigger move would be a center, which maybe we can talk about in terms of uh, some targets there. But the number one thing for me is the bench. Okay. And so let's do the thing that, Let's pay service to your idea of what Fred VanVleet was coming into the season and who he is. You and I had agreed that last year, Fred deservedly probably deserved the rank of best Raptor on the team. And now he's gotten to a point where the three-point shooting, obviously catch and shoot, he's at 48% on super high volume. The pull-ups aren't a super crazy percentage, but they're enough to change how teams play him. And his overall impact as far as winning minutes has been enormous, um, bigger than anybody has had, I think, by like the catch-all numbers than anybody as a Raptor ever. Like the catch-alls love Fred Van Vliet. The Raptors win minutes with him on the floor. They, they crater with him off the floor, less so with Pascal, you know, rounding into form, but definitely, you know, a trend over the year. And so Fred Van Vliet hopefully an all-star, but you were always rooting for him. You were always saying how good he was and underrated he was. So I just like kind of your thoughts on his season so far, actually. I think Fred has been awesome. Uh, the The biggest thing is that he's kind of having, I don't, I don't really see people talking about it, but he's kind of having like an all-time level shooting season because he's shooting like 10 threes a game. Even if you look uh, recently, he's like, way up there in the three point attempts is like 15 sometimes mm-hmm. especially when when gary was out and he's like hitting them near like a 40 percent clip which is it's like steph curry clay thompson territory and i think that's the biggest thing uh the other the other thing that he's done really well this year is be like an on-ball guy but that's still not i wouldn't say it's like a huge strength of his but even last year i think i was defending him when people were like oh he's he's not a point guard at all he's just a shooting guard but I feel, but maybe people go too far with these things because even last year, I know you said that uh, you didn't love his uh, playmaking, which I think was fair, but I still thought it was good enough as a point guard. And this year he's been a lot better, especially in terms of finding passes maybe on the interior and uh, working with not so great role men. Even like, I know Cam hasn't played in a while, so he probably looks worse than he is having to deal with Precious every night. But <laughs> Yeah, I think uh, Fred has been meaningfully better both inside the arc in terms of decision-making. Uh, I think he's made a leap in terms of like mid-range shooting, but he's mm-hmm. he hasn't been doing that as much recently. So I don't know what's going on there. Maybe because he's like the only three-point shooter on the team. So <laughs> we, can't, we can't have him all in the mid-range. But yeah, in terms of just shooting and being a ball handler, he's been better than what I expected. Well, the playmaking is the the big one, I think. And so 
for a long time, I think that his playmaking was below average to functional. Like he'd have some functional games as the lead ball handler and he'd have below average games as the lead ball handler as far as what he creates for his teammates. But this year, I think that, or this season, I should say, I think that he's hit a range where it's either functional or above average. And that is a really, really high clip to hit. And that's a huge step to take at this juncture in his career. He's what gone from 26 ish to 27 ish. And to become that type of passer, I think is super impressive. What you bring up too is the, just because it looks different, you know, Fred Van Vliet is that he's the lead guard. He takes, you know, he has by far the most touches on the team, but he also hits like a low frequency relative to Steph Curry, as far as like pull-ups historically or other really great shooters. And that's where the disconnect is, right? Because you look at a guy like, you know, even Bradley Beal or a guard who spends a lot of time on ball when they have a big three-point shooting game, typically it's the product of pull-ups and you can kind of, you, you see the highlight reel playing out of a lot of your favorite shooters hitting pull-up jumpers, especially over this past 10 years. Whereas Fred does have those, he's still hitting lots and lots of catch and shoot threes, which is a big product of him being able to move off ball. And that's the thing is like, it mirrors Steph Curry closer than it does a lot of other players, but it's not Steph Curry. So people are hesitant to make that comp. You weren't. And you're saying like, Hey, this guy is shooting roughly 40% from three on an insane amount of volume. And why not just like stand in it and say, this is a guy having one of the best shooting seasons out there currently. And given where the, you know, the league is right now, that's historic. That's really interesting. The defense, uh, just the, the quick sell on Fred Van Vliet's defense, how you think it impacts the Raptors and all that. I think there's a, there's a good argument that he's been the best defender mm-hmm. on the team. Uh, maybe not like every game because recently it's probably not been him, but he's just able to do so much in terms of uh, being like a menace on the ball. Uh, he has like these big meaty claws. <laughs> 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 Whenever whenever they rotate down and uh, you know what the bigs the bigs are always scared because they don't see him coming he just comes and he just takes the ball from them They're like where did the ball go and then just in terms of rotations and like leading the defense he's always he's like he's probably up there uh, he, I don't know I think he's up there with any guard in the league in terms of defense so I'd say he's his usual elite self on that end okay. And as far as like, this is, you, we, we poke fun in it when we talk about like you being very, very much um, enthralled with like the analytics side of basketball. And I, I like the analytics side of basketball and, you know, so do you, but you know, you get into your jokes and it becomes, that's what you joke about, but like Darko, EPM, catch-alls, you know, Raptor, LeBron, whatever. For the people who are just hearing these names and saying that sounds like the team he plays for and a player in the league, and then a guy who was drafted, you know, after LeBron, and then, you know, like, what are these words? And they're catch-all numbers. And so I, if I could ask you to, I want, like, you to try and explain the correlation between Fred Van Vliet on court and why he is so impactful in those numbers. That I think that would be an interesting thing. All right, yeah. So... The these all-in-one numbers are a relative recent thing, I think, in basketball, like maybe like the last five years or so, or when they really took off. Before that, you had like RPM and like RAPM. Oh, I'm, I'm just throwing out letters, so I don't know if people are gonna get it. <laughs> but, but like, but what 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 it is is that 
the nerds are trying to like understand what's going on in a given game without uh i don't know i want to say without i want to say with all the information that we currently have uh but it's really hard to quantify basketball versus other sports like baseball because of just the sheer amount of variables so the way that they do it is that they look at how the score changes when you're on the court and then they make several adjustments based off that so based off that uh, all these all these different uh all these different nerds i guess have had their own uh, methodology of filtering this data and trying to paint the most accurate picture that they can of what's going on so a guy like fred is like for the last two seasons he's been really high up there uh last last year he was like top 20 in most of them this year he's like top five so that doesn't mean Fred is a top five player, even though uh, maybe I'd want him to be. <laughs> <laughs> it, it means uh, in the role that the Raptors deploy him in, he's giving them like absurdly great impact. But what that means is when Fred's on the court, the team does really well. And when Fred's off the court, the team doesn't do so well. Why that is, is uh, I don't know if there's like a perfect explanation but if you were to ask me my theory would be that he's like the only guard on the roster like it's it's not the most complicated reason but it makes sense because a lot of what fred does is just barren on this raptors team like in terms of above average shooting you have like three guys and like fred og uh gary that's that's about it and then you have like fred who's able to do a high volume of shooting uh their spacing on the court uh, he's able to give them some ball handling, some uh, high-end defense. Like you can see why the Raptors are just better with him on the court versus, you know, when he's not on the court and whoever's playing the minutes would be. Uh, we had Sfi, and you know, Sfi is a very interesting player, but he's usually not a good player. <laughs> and uh, this Delano, who's also a very interesting player, but I would also say not good right now. So it's a combination of Fred being very good and then the players that replace him being not very good. <laughs> Do you think there's a point to be made? And so the, when I think about this, the, the two things that come up to me are um, competition that you're playing a lot of your mans against. If you look at like the discrepancy between DeMar and Kyle in catch-alls, a lot of it, you know, is the gap between them as large as the catch-alls might say? no. But what contributes to that is, you know, the Lowry plus bench lineups that killed teams and then threw um, DeMar's plus minus into like wacky world, right? It it went crazy. And then you look at Fred, who now plays basically the whole game. You don't have to worry about competition. He's playing everybody because he's not leaving the floor. And he's in the menace. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, exactly. And so he and he's hugely impactful and they win his minutes. And then you go look to when he was first popping off with the Raptors and he was within the blogging community, you know, like the net rating king. And so you're looking at a guy that once he's the star or, you know, approximating like all-star status, he's winning huge minutes while playing like 40 minutes a game. And then you look at that same guy who, okay, when he came along and was playing like 23 minutes a game next to Kyle Lowry and plugging in, they were also winning his minutes by a huge amount. So this is a guy who just wins minutes. What would your biggest takeaway from that be? Would it be about Fred Van Vliet? Would it be about defense being underrated? Would it be about bench units? What do you have? It's probably like 
this is a cop out, but it's probably like all of that. (laughs) Firstly, it speaks to the value of Fred, but that doesn't mean that every, everybody who's underrated by advanced stats becomes a star. Uh, If you were, if you were looking at the stats uh, like a couple of years ago, back when uh, I forgot what it was called before this, but they had earlier iterations of what's now called Raptor on 538. They would always say, oh, Tyus Jones is the next all-star because he wins all his minutes. But uh, as people can see, Tyus Jones is still a good player, but he's not an all-star. So it's not just that, oh, if they have good impact at a young age, when they, when they, you know, when they grow, they'll become stars, but it's more like, you can look at it and say, okay, Tyus Jones wins his minutes. Why is why does Tyus Jones win his minutes? Why does Fred win win his minutes? Is it because he's a great shooter? Is it because he's a great defender? Maybe it's both. You can look at who he replaces in the lineup. I know because uh, Dwayne Casey usually like to keep uh, one of his better players coming off the bench just to uh, have like a better bench. But that that's why Patrick Patterson was the uh, RPM god every year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because he'd come and he'd replace like Louis Scola or like James Johnson. And then the Raptors would do a lot better with him there. So it's kind of like, you can't just look up the stats and be like, okay, this guy's the best player in the league, but you can look at the stats and say, okay, the stats are saying this guy is doing really well. Why is he doing really well? And then you go and then you watch the film and then you're like, okay, this is why they're doing really well. You know? Well, that's like you can see in like the, the articles I write, I put film in basically everything I write because I like to show and tell. And then if I really want to make something about Fred Pop, you just put in like, by the way, this database ranks him as like the fourth most or third. I guess he's third now currently on like EPM. It's like this database says he's the third most impactful player in the league. If you subscribe to that stuff, then like, hell yeah, that's an incredibly fun little nugget of information that you get to say, you know, to other people who are into that kind of stuff, like, wow, he's third. Isn't that incredible? And to anybody else, it's not like taking up a whole part of the piece or anything like that, because the numbers don't tell anything unless you're going to go look up and into like the formula and see how everything is weighted, which hardly anybody does. Then the numbers are just boom, it's calculated, you get a number at the end. And so it is really interesting to see how that's like evaluated both in fan bases and obviously neither of us know but how much it's evaluated in front offices and stuff like that. Uh, any parting shots for the Fred conversation? We'll talk about him during the rest of this podcast, but as far as the focus on him, is there anything else you'd like to add? Uh, I think for the numbers conversation, I, I, I would like to say that people probably overrate their own eye test a lot, which is why, mm-hmm. which is why the numbers are important too. Which is why I don't think you can, like. Which I don't think you can just ignore the numbers all the time. Or maybe it's not even overrating your eye test. Maybe what's most valuable in a game or in the current iteration of the NBA game right now is not what you think it is sometimes. So you could look at something like, oh, uh, three point shooters are more valuable than I thought. If I look at this database, is it the data? Is the data that I'm wrong, or is my conception of the value of three point shooting that's wrong? And I think I feel like that's that's also a question people don't ask enough. So yeah, the next time you're having an advanced analytics conversation, I'd like you to consider that as a human you have flaws too. Well, yeah, that's that's honestly the the most important part is like, you know, when we were talking about this at the top, you were saying, well, what do the numbers replace? They don't replace you watching the game, but they're supposed to capture things that you might miss passively watching a game. Like 
for example, Blake did a piece, you know, however many years ago it came out on the athletic where he just watched James Harden for a game. And that's the piece he wrote. And the amount of stuff you can parse out and glean from just being that focused on one player is endless. And you can't do that for all 10 players on the court at, at one time. And so the impact is supposed to help capture the things that you passively miss. And yeah, you're, you're absolutely correct. Everybody thinks they see everything on the court. And the, I think the smartest people typically know what they miss rather than seeing everything. It's like knowing your blind spots, what you could typically miss on a possession so you know what to go back and look for. I think that's the key is to know what you miss and then go back and try and see it. I don't know. What do you think about that? <laughs> that that's, that's, that's a good way of putting it. I think. Pascal Siakam. He's in the all-star conversation and deservedly so. He's been like incredible over the past month of basketball. He's been ever since coming back from COVID and, you know, probably for a week and a half, two weeks before that worth of games, he was great. And he's really entered like a new stratosphere as far as being able to manipulate defenses as a playmaker. And the touch that evaded him for, I don't know, like 50 games of basketball appears to be here again and it makes him all the more dangerous around the bucket and not just at the immediate three feet and in space but get him out to like 13 14 feet that push shot can exist and then you go a little bit beyond that his mid-range has kind of dipped a little bit lately but you know it's it's still in a decent spot especially as a counter and so the the totality of his game on offense and defense is probably at a fever pitch currently and that doesn't mean it can't go higher. It just means that this is the highest it's ever been. I'm curious what you think about his season so far. I think, like I said before, he's been better than what I expected. I think maybe the, he's been playing like the, the game has kind of slowed down from a little bit more this year in terms of just making his reads uh, less jump passing. He's not forcing, or at least to me, it, it, it doesn't look like he's forcing his uh, scoring as much. Where putting himself in bad spots. And yeah, the touch, the, I think the touch being back is the biggest thing because it's been gone ever since, you know, the pandemic started. And, you know, that's understandable. But now that it's back, he's so much more dangerous around the basket. It's become a lot harder to guard him. And then defensively, he's not always locked in, I would say. But recently, he's been like probably our best defensive player, just in terms of like he'll miss like a rotation sometimes, but in terms of putting out the main fires that pop up in the Raptors defense, which is a lot of them this year. We can talk about that too, but is that Pascal has been probably been the best one in terms of covering up for other people's mistakes. Yeah. That, that is a really interesting wrinkle about his defense is that he's probably, it's not, it's not absent minded, but he's overlooking some of his own, I don't know, responsibilities as a weak side defender so he can cheat to the strong side a lot of the time. He likes to hover in the periphery of the ball. That's, that's something I notice when he, like when he plays defense is that he wants to be near the ball. He wants to be able to make a play or be able to kind of um, stonewall a drive in help or rotate somewhere. And when the ball, like when you switch the play to steal a term from footy, when you switch the play, sometimes he can be caught out a little bit, I've noticed. But overall, especially with the defense that deals in a lot of strong side and stuff like that, um, he's, he's certainly very, very much involved. And the, the absent-minded plays or something to that equivalent have been uh, fewer and far between as far as lately. But I, I absolutely agree. Like earlier on in the season, he did have um, 
like the the missed rotations were kind of adding up as far as what we were seeing defensively and the um, intensity wasn't always there. But along with the extra rebounding pop, uh, so too has the the defensive intensity on all spaces of the four come together. So that's been really good. What do you make of he and Fred leading an offense together? That's, I think, a super funny wrinkle for the Raptors to be entertaining now. And the fact that they're hovering in around, you know, a top 10 offensive rating. I think it's great. Uh, they do a they do a really good job just playing off of each other, which is because they've been playing together forever now. But with their strengths, they they match well together with Fred shooting and like general off ball ability and Pascal being such a threat in the paint and uh, being a really good passer now. I I know inside the Raptors sphere that's been covered decently well, but I think maybe the national people don't know it yet. But Pascal's playmaking is really good. Uh, ever since last year, I know you were pointing it out last year too, but this year it's been uh, great, especially now, even if you look in the box score now, because his teammates are actually converting, but <laughs> he, he rarely has a game now with like less than three or four assists. He's been having a lot of triple doubles lately. Like Pascal has been doing a really good job just being a playmaker and Fred does an, a great job playing off of that. And then they can play together. Like you can have uh, Pascal screening for Fred. You can have Fred screening for Pascal. Usually in the clutch, that's, those are the actions that they'll go to. And they use, and it works pretty well. I know the Raptors are actually a good clutch team the last time I checked their stats. So I think in terms of building an offense around those two, uh, I would, yeah, I would support that. It's, it feels like they've been a top 10 offense this year. And we can talk about how that's kind of maybe cheating with, <laughs> how they've done it, but with Fred and Pascal on the floor, uh, the offense has been good. The Their team isn't winning these minutes by a lot, but that's because the defense has been bad. But I wouldn't say that's their fault. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, let's get into the, the funky part then. You alluded to the defense a little bit earlier, and like we're kicking the conver- the can of the conversation down the road, but let's let's pick up the can now. So the defense the offensive rebounding, the transition, everything that makes the Raptors funky because Pascal is a very strong isolation player. He's a guy with athletic advantages that manipulates the defense and makes great passes. Fred is a super, super great on-ball guard who shoots the hell out of the ball and takes really good care of it and defends like hell. Those two players are not, although they have very unique career paths and still are unique players in the league, they are not what makes the Raptors funky. The Raptors are the number one offensive rebounding team in the NBA. They are the number one transition frequency team in the NBA. And they also happen to just never rebound the ball on their own end. And they rotate like hell and forego, uh, you know, one-on-one defense in lieu of saying, everybody rotate over, we're going to make passes. This team is funky. And what do you think about the direction that they've taken it this year? I think it's super interesting. Uh, I, if you were on my Twitter, you, you would have seen me retweet a chart a couple of days ago. And I, I know our friend Kai hates graphs, but <laughs> if, if you uh, if you look at the graph, you'll see that the Raptors average seven extra true shooting possessions, which is like field goal attempts and free throws. Like combined, there's like a weight on the free throws, which is a but okay, I'm not going to get into that. Uh, they average seven extra shooting possessions a game, which is by a huge margin the most that any team has led the league in since in like the last 10 years or so, which is why the Raptors are winning usually is just, they just 
get more possessions than the other team. And uh, when Nick Nurse was first hired here, he said that was one of his uh, coaching philosophy things. And I think this year they've like really gone after just winning the possession battle every game. And sometimes it's it's really funny, like the last the last game they had against like the Blazers, they went they were they had like an extra they had like six offensive rebounds and they were down like twenty, and it's like. <laughs> That, that's I feel like that's the definition of funky. Mm-hmm. Well, they they I think they both finished at ninety nine possessions at the end of that whole game. As crazy as that was, I think they finished even. But what you say about you know it being Nick Nurse's philosophy, like get extra possessions because the team that has more possessions wins the game. Usually, he said prior to the, or at the very start of this season that he was looking to get around five, and if they're winning on average like seven. And they're not winning every game. In fact, they're currently 500. What do you make of, and I, I've asked this to quite a few people who come on the podcast because I think it's the most interesting aspect of the Raptors season on a macro scale, is what do you think about them kind of forcing good analytics, but you know, losing other ones on the way there? Because a lot of teams, by proxy of the talent on the roster, find themselves in extra possessions but the Raptors have taken maybe talent that wasn't best suited to do that, or maybe isn't best suited to play as many minutes as they do, or have the same amount of responsibility as they do. And they've pursued these extra possession avenues to winning and dropped other things on the way. It's very interesting to me. I'm curious what you think. Well, I think it depends because there's a, there's a, there's a good argument here that the Raptors are still overperforming their talent level. And if that's true, which I don't know if we can say with certainty that it's true or not, but if it is true, then that means it's working, right? But if they're not overperforming on offense, I think you could say that they're overperforming. Nobody expected them to be a top 10 offense this year. But if they're still doing that and they're losing these games, maybe the, 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 the players that they're playing to force that advantage are giving up too much elsewhere. I know it's not exactly the same, but I feel like forcing the analytics is a little interesting trend with NBA teams. Like, uh, do you remember Kenny Atkinson's Brooklyn Nets? They kind of forced uh, mm-hmm. the pretty the pretty little uh, Mori Ball shot chart, where they'd only take shots at the three or the rim, and it but it, it wouldn't lead to a good offense. It would just be them forcing the uh, the analytics. So I feel like a lot of what it is is you have to play to the strengths of the personnel you have, which I think the Raptors have done. I don't know if you can say that, oh, well, this team can play another way and do better. But the other side to that is that the Raptors very consciously built a team to pursue like this whole possession thing. And if that's the case, then I, I I would not love them going all in on this style of roster building. Okay. Sorry, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. Just, just to make it clear on like, if it's like, okay, if it's like a patchwork way of like making this year work, then it's fine. If it's like the goal of their team building, then I have, I have questions. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. You and I are in the exact same position. Then I agree with you. They're overperforming offensively. Definitely. They are underperforming their defensive talent, but the grouping of that defensive talent, I think that they're about where they should be considering the only avenue of defense that's available to them. So this, if this was Nick Nurse being given a team 
and they say, you play however you want, but these are the players we've signed. I would be super, super impressed. The fact that he's, you know, come up with this idea, this is how they play. And this is really, you know, there's a lot of ingenuity in it, but if this type of offense, this type of defense, this roster construction was created methodically, like this is the new wave of basketball. This is how we're going to play. Then the same as you, I have significant questions about how well it could translate to the playoffs. A, how well it will last throughout the season, like the regular season B, and the significant limitations of not having a center whatsoever. You know, like maybe some of the isolation possessions that are available to one of Siakam, Barnes, or OG now aren't there if they play a traditional center. But the passive defense you're allowed to have by playing a traditional center who can contest shots at the rim so that you don't have to force rotation, and you can also close out more possessions defensively with the rebounding, they've given up on that completely. And they realized this year that, okay, how do we get to a point where we can amalgamate some of that center production defensively? They said, okay, Precious, but Precious is maybe relative to the amount of minutes he plays, the worst offensive big man in the NBA currently. And that's not, you know, he'll get better, obviously, but that's the real, that's the reality of where we are right now. So that's, it's super interesting to me. Do you think that, I think, I don't think they're against having a center. I think they just haven't found haven't been able to find a good one uh because we i think we know at this point that they really wanted evan mobley and Mm -hmm. and now uh, i think mark stein has reported that they've been sniffing after uh, our old pal yakup hurdle so maybe they're not out on the whole center thing but they're looking for very specific centers which maybe is hurting them in the short term well yeah that's possible too it's also like maybe they realized you know, they haven't gotten as many games as some people want to kind of tell how a, you know, a team would play, but they've certainly gotten the minutes. These guys have played a lot of minutes at this style and they've gotten really good players to test it out. Like the Raptors, their main guys are very, they're either good to very good NBA players. And so the feedback as far as, you know, what, what does this do, this style of play? I think they've gotten a lot of it. And so maybe they're even saying, okay, we saw what this looked like. Now we know you cannot just cobble together a center by way of like Boucher, Siakam, and Precious and changing responsibilities on a possession-to-possession basis. And maybe they're saying, okay, now we look at Pirtle. Now we look at whoever. And, you know, I'm not sure if that's the case because I'm sure they wouldn't decide in a half a season that, okay, our whole vision or whatever. But, yeah, I, I do think there's something to be said that, you know, maybe with them wanting Mobley, with them, you know, the reported talks with Rashawn Holmes, whatever came of that, right? That I'm they were still looking- not over that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me too, brother. Me, well, me and you both, obviously. And uh, But that's the thing is like, you're looking at this team and you say, did they plan not to have a center or did it just, was it too ill fit or was it too difficult with the cap to come together with an idea of what center to put there that works and what the cost would be? I think that's interesting. Would you like Pirtle? Would would that I be think, ideal? Yes, I think in terms of targets, he's probably the best or the most ideal fit, to, at least to what they're trying to do right now, because he does provide that that defensive presence. Uh, you can even say elite, because Pirtle is a guy who's always like high up there in the defensive stats. It's like, oh, he, this is a legitimate All NBA caliber big man defender. 
and everyone like gives him his due like oh yeah Pirtle's pretty good but no one ever like you know he doesn't really get that respect but maybe the analytics are right and he's this like hidden dpoy and i think Pirtle's other strengths are like he's probably just like okay offensively in terms of like doing big man stuff like i know he can he can deal with like handoffs and stuff that other like not every big can do that like uh i know bomba's a popular target but he's a big who maybe the handoffs aren't there yet and that's like a big part of the raptors offense and the other thing is that Pirtle's an elite offensive rebounder which is if that's what they're going to be pursuing then i think bringing in Pirtle, a guy who can be low usage a guy who gives them a defensive anchor and a guy who lets them pursue the uh, elite offensive rebounding thing further is it's a pretty good target yeah well he's certainly yeah he fits in in so many ways and that's the best part about it is a guy who who does fit the ethos offensively a little bit and will give you more than Kem did um offensively and will give you more than precious did defensively that's exactly what the raptors have been looking for is a guy to kind of meld together what they've been stealing from both players, but never getting both from each of them. So I think that's the the really interesting aspect of it. Uh, Goose, would you like to talk about some of the questions we've been asked on Twitter? Absolutely. Okay. Sounds good. But before we do so, a quick note from Jack Health. So you want to get to the top of your game. Jack Health at www.jack.health is an online service for men's health that handles the doctor's appointment getting the prescription and shipping, which by the way is free. All you need to do is stay at home and relax. Sexual health, daily health, hair and skin. It's easy to book an appointment with any of their certified doctors. You don't need to tell everyone and their mother your issues like when you go to the clinic and mumble what you're there for. Do it all from the privacy of your own home through www.jack.health and boost your game to the best it can be. Okay, Goose, so here's the thing. I put out a little tweet saying that the goose man, the bird man himself was coming on the podcast and uh, wondered if the goose gaggle, the people who are, are fans of your, your work and your takes and your ideas on basketball had any interesting questions. And so we have a lot of these that pertain to birds and uh, bird anatomy, bird comps and all that kind of stuff. But we're going to start with the basketball stuff. So from Abdel underscore taco. What do you think of Scotty's pathway to becoming a higher volume pick and roll ball handler? He can keep guys on his hip and show some floater potential, but do you think he will find answers to guys going under or switching? Can he consistently beat centers on a switch with limited burst? I'm going to let you start that one off. This, uh, that, this is a really good question. And mm-hmm. this is one of the reasons that people had a lot of questions with Scotty uh, before their draft is that functionally he's not, an amazing athlete in like the traditional way of uh, just being a high speed guy and like blowing by guys like that, like a, like a LeBron James would. But I think this year he's shown a lot of promise as a, as a ball handler. And the other thing is that they've tried putting centers on him and I think it's worked, but he's also found ways of uh, dealing with it. I don't know if you're going to have Scotty be like this James Harden type 20 pick and rolls a game type player, but like if if they go under, then you, it gives him a runway, and he's if he gets stronger and like you know the handle gets a little bit better, it gives him ways to like kind of force force himself in the paint and like get off his little like touch shots and whatnot. And uh, he's showing his a little bit of his uh, mid range pull up this year, which nobody thought he had. 
So I feel like can he beat centers on a switch? Maybe not, but does he have to? Like that's the, that's my other thing with this is that you don't have to like like if Scotty is like running a pick and roll and they drop, and then if they go under on that, it gives either Scotty the the space to to like build up and drive right at the big, which I don't know if a lot of bigs can handle that, or it gives him space to like turn around and like you even like he could even do like a handoff with fred and now fred has space to get off three or they can run a pick and roll there like it doesn't have to be like this isolated thing you know i I certainly i think it would be really interesting to think of less pick and rolls but just more handoff offense for scotty because pick and rolls can be quite stagnant in the way that they're starting and that doesn't seem to be what delivers on a lot of Scotty's athletic promise. Scotty is really good at translating motion that's already there into more explosive motion. And his control with that, with his own body, I think is what's been most impressive to me this year. Not like the the quick twitch first step to blow by guys, but the fact that he's moving side to side, he's constantly flipping his hips and he's going wide and hop stepping around the paint in like isolations and stuff like that. And he's on balance and his shot could go up at any time. His feet can be aligned anyway. His hips can be aligned anyway, but he'll flip his shoulders. He'll get square to put a shot up. And his touch, I think, has obviously been just incredible so far this year. So that's the unique aspect, I think, would be that instead of looking, if you're looking for a screening play, you don't have to look strictly for pick and rolls for Scotty. And I don't think that plays into a lot of the advantages he has currently. Now, he could develop into counters and all that kind of stuff. I mean, Gary Trent Jr. has a couple more counters out of the pick and roll this year than he did last year and in Portland, and that's somewhat relative to how much he gets to run that play, but it's also what he's been comfortable with as far as getting his shot off and stuff like that. And so when we think about Scotty playing with a screen and advantage like that, I do like the handoffs a lot more than the pick and roll straight up. But when I was doing my pick and roll, like when I sorry, not my pick and roll, when I was doing my big piece on Scotty and was watching, okay, what does a pick and roll create? A lot of times I think there's like this idea of pick and roll defense in the playoffs versus the regular season. DeMar DeRozan basically gamed regular season pick and rolls to be one of the best pick and roll players in the NBA during the regular season, but it did not translate to the playoffs. And I think Scotty's current skill set is one that you could see dominate a lot of the ho-hum pick-and-roll defense during the regular season, but might struggle in the playoffs. And the only way he'll counter that, I think, is with a confident and potent pull-up jumper. That's what remains to be seen. But given his physicality, his fearlessness for contact and stuff like that, I think the second quarter, third quarter pick-and-rolls that he'll no doubt get during the forthcoming seasons and stuff like that, I think he'll actually score quite well on them. But in the playoffs, in a more heated environment and stuff like that, I think that handoffs will be uh, more fruitful. Any thoughts on that, Goose? Well, first of all, people should check out uh, the piece that Samson did on uh, Raptors Republic. It's been a highly lauded, some say piece of the decade, maybe. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> so, if, if you have Scotty questions, that's that's the first thing I would check out. But <laughs> on uh, on top of that, yeah, I think, a lot of what teams do is that they just have base pick and roll coverage for the regular season. Like most teams will just go over on anything, everything just to mm-hmm. like promote trying hard because 
if you hear coaches talk about it, they'll be like, yeah, if we let them go under in the regular season, they get lazy with it. So we make them go over. It keeps them engaged, which is why uh, you'll see them going over on even like guys like Russ or Ben Simmons in the regular season. But then in the playoffs, uh, they'll go under and that presents new issues. Like it'll force a pull up sometimes. It'll force pull ups a lot. Uh, sometimes the, uh, the pick and roll player, if they're like a great athlete like Russ, it doesn't really matter if they go under because Russ will still blow by, but Scotty's not that. But I think Scotty being as versatile as he is, I don't think we need to think of him in this like heliocentric star type of context. Right. Because it's it's great that he can run pick and rolls, but you know, if he doesn't, if he's not able to produce a good advantage there, there's no reason to force it because now he's capable of switching to his other, his other options as like a handoff guy or like a role man, or maybe you have a switch and you can, uh, you know, like pass the ball and he finds somebody else. And, you know, so I don't think, I don't think that Scotty's going to become this like LeBron James type player, but he's going to be a really good player and pick and rolls will be part of it. I just don't think it'll be his like bread and butter. I actually, I actually think the best way to get, Scotty into advantageous positions in the pick and roll is to get him like a really, really good role man with a huge catch radius for lobs, because then Scotty can start to leverage that pass into different avenues for driving lanes for himself. And I think that would also mean that teams would be more eager to switch in a playoff scheme. If they're playing defense, like in the pick and roll, if there's a guy with a lot of roll gravity, who's a really good finisher and you have Scotty Barnes, who's really tall and he's a great passer, then you're looking at a guy who like lobs can be more direct. They don't have to spend as much time in air. And so that connection would be really, really tough to tag. And those types of lobs, considering the height to height and like how direct a line he can throw would be really tough to break up that would create a lot of switch opportunities, I think, or driving lanes for Scotty. And I, I do really trust Scotty to become one of the better isolation players in the NBA. And I, I do trust him to score against centers. It, there's he had, he had a really great game against Demonis Sabonis earlier this year. And Demonis isn't everything. I mean, OG basically built his whole, I could be a shot creator. I could be most improved player of the year um, on that one game where he just, every possession made Demonis Sabonis look like he had, you know, cement in his feet, which, you know, some players do, some players don't. But uh, Scotty, I, I do trust in him to be able to score on bigs. He's very resourceful and he's a, he's fundamentally a guy who just will get to the rim with uh, he's he's got chutzpah, man. He's got moxie and uh, a, a muscular frog, as some put it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. The most muscular frog you've ever seen. So I think a really good roller would be the the most helpful thing. And then obviously, just like anybody else, if you hit a pull up jumper, it fundamentally changes how teams are going to play you, and you get driving lanes like Victor Oladipo's big year that he had in Indiana. You can draw a direct line to why he started shooting good at the rim and defenders jumping out on his three-pointer. Like that that's there for a reason. So yeah, that I, that's a great question, by the way, Abdel. That's a, a really, really good question. Uh, next one from our dear buddy, James Boo. Okay, so here's the thing. Uh, the name on Twitter is at Free Malik Monk and uh, James has written in uh, a two-parter. Okay. Does Goose admit defeat on Siakam? Also, would like some discussion on Fox 
maybe Markel's fit in Toronto, since I know both of you are fans of them, the upside and downside, and how they work, especially if you add a starting center on top of that. Maybe better than that, a philosophy question that sort of applies to both the Raptors and Cavs. To what extent can you neglect threes and still be a strong NBA offense? Do you need threes at all? Okay, I'll let you pick where you want to start with that, Goose, and then uh, we'll kind of piecemeal our way through it. All right. Uh, in classic James Boo fashion, this is a lot. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. We already talked about Siakam, so I don't know if uh, do I admit defeat? No, I'd still trade him for the right thing. It's just uh, the thing. The, the thing is uh, more valuable now. Uh, but we can talk about Fox. Oh, actually, okay. Let, let me let me cut in quick. Basically, for for the people who don't know, who didn't listen to our episode this summer, we had one where we talked about should Pascal be traded. Especially, you know, everybody who's a Raptors fan knew what was happening with Pascal. There was a lot of murmurs. All the insiders were saying that he could be traded, all that kind of stuff. And Goose and I had a debate on what the Raptors should do. I took the the position of don't trade Pascal, and he took the position of trade Pascal. And it wasn't like he's like, oh, I don't like Pascal. I think he's bad. It's just we both took a side. And so obviously you leaned more that way than I did, but you know, the conversation was mostly just us talking about Pascal. It wasn't like a, a first take style, you know, shootout between the two of us where we get to yell back and forth. But anyway, go on. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, as far as Pascal goes, that's uh, I think if you're talking about trading him, the one thing that's changed since we had that conversation is just Scotty and uh, how good he's been. So Scotty has been really good. I think for a rookie, he's been pretty special even in a special class. And if he continues this trajectory and maybe by year three, you have like maybe like an all-star. I think keeping Pascal makes a lot of sense there because usually with the good players in the NBA, it's hard to upgrade. Usually you downgrade. And so if Scotty's going to be this rookie contract star, it makes a lot of sense to keep the good players. And then now maybe you can make a, a deep playoff push sometime on that rookie contract. And it, which kind of gives the Raptors a lot of breathing room when it comes to trading guys like Pascal or Fred, which is uh, Scotty being this guy who injects upside into the team. Definitely. I think that's, yeah, that's, that's right on point. That's the thing is like, if, if you really do want to win with Scotty and you think like, okay, we want to maximize, maximize his whole time in Toronto, his whole contract. Can you get a guy better than Siakam in-house? I like, what is the avenue to that? That makes no sense to me. I don't think they could. And then if you, but if you're trying to bottom out, then you're also maybe, you know, what if Scotty becomes really, really good, really fast, then you're saddling a star with rookies who are definitely not as good as one of OG Fred or Pascal, if they do move away from them. So yeah, a point well made goose for sure, but okay, let's do, let's do Fox. No, Fox is, uh, one of my favorite players. Uh, he's been getting a lot of disrespect lately for a tumultuous season in Sacramento, but I'm still very pro get Fox on my team at while we can, because Fox has one of the most rare skills in the NBA. It's just like, we were, like we were just talking about with Scotty, which is uh, what happens when you can't blow by someone. There's, there's not a lot of, there's not a lot of players that Fox can't blow by. And that just forces a lot of natural advantage for a team. Like 
Fox is like top five in shots taken in the paint, and he's like a really good finisher. I don't know if he's top five. Don't quote me on that. <laughs> he's he's uh not he's really year. high. Not this year. Not this year. Yeah, last year he had a really, really great season in terms of rim shots, rim, <laughs> shots at <laughs> shots at the rim. Uh, so that's I think is one of the most valuable skills you can have as an NBA player is just being able to get to the rim whenever you want. And that forces a lot of that forces a lot of advantages to a team. Uh, Fox is not maybe the best passer, but I think he's still a pretty good one. And if you pair him with guys like Fred and OG and Scotty, you 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 have a strong half court advantage there, which is Fox just being able to collapse the defense whenever, and then being able to build either like. You get spot ups off that. Uh, you get people attacking closeout. Like OG attacking closeout is much more dangerous than OG uh, trying to create from a standstill or like even like post up. And I think the biggest detractor that that you see from Fox is his defense because it's admittedly stinky. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's stinky because he just kind of doesn't try. And maybe this is that's like a sacramento thing or like what uh, rudy gay called it basketball hell so <laughs> maybe uh if you rescue him maybe he'll start trying again and when he did try earlier in his career he was actually pretty good he had good uh he had good technique getting over screens and just kind of being like passing lanes and like there's a chance we can like gary trent him you know that's that's my take on fucks that's what you bring up right it's like he's he's not top five by the way like this year but He's as far as a guard and especially a lead guard, his rim pressure is something you don't see at the end. Like it's just, it doesn't come along very often. It's not the jaw Morant level, like where jaw is right now. It's like jaw is getting a step and he's getting two feet in the paint anytime he wants in every NBA possession. And it's just a wonder to watch him work. Fox, as far as he's toned it down a little bit and he's a cut below that as far as volume, but he is, as he's always been like around either the 75th to 90th percentile as far as guards who finish at the rim and considering his volume, that's just immensely valuable. And, you know, this is something having talked with PD so much. And, you know, when, when you talk about guys who scout players at the NBA or college level, it's, they always ask what's easy, you know, what can this player do that doesn't require an incredible feat of talent or strength or something like that. What are, what are the avenues that's always available to this player? And that first step and Fox's athleticism and just burst towards the rim means that a lot of advantages that you see Raptors players work like hell to create, he gets in an instant. And that's definitely the sell is like, as you say, can you Gary Trent him defensively? Can you get him to buy in? And can you revitalize this aspect of an offense that's been gone since you know, Kawhi, and then before that, like 2015, 16, Kyle Lowry, a guy who just, boom, is in the paint all the time and, and not methodically, like quick quick as a rabbit gets in there or quick as a fox, let's say. Quick so, yeah, that's a rapture. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, yeah, fox, I think, is really, really interesting. I don't have a trade framework that I have, you know, in mind or anything like that. Pascal is obviously considering OG's skill set. Scotty's the young star. And then Fred, um, you know, and Fred just having like the, you know, borderline all NBA year that he's having and not borderline to some. But um, I guess Pascal is probably 
if I were to ask you, how are you getting Fox? I'm guessing that's the guy you're putting out on the other side. It's it's the one that would make the most sense, I think. Just you're not you're not giving guys. Boucher in a first. <laughs> <laughs> well, if they're if they're taking it, then sure. <laughs> That's uh yeah, all the all the Sacramento Kings fans and writers who who we know are just shaking their fists at the the Boucher joke. But uh them's the breaks. Somebody who's probably like a more realistic get without trading one of the core players, Markel Fultz. And so Markel is somebody that we are both enamored with. <laughs> yeah, big time hooper. The, the only Hooper who does not have like a nice jump shot, maybe ever, that's which is kind of funny. Like nobody calls Kyle Anderson a Hooper, by the way. But so anyway, yeah, Markel Fultz has been in Orlando for some time now, is one of the most interesting players in the NBA. His highlight package, his season at Washington actually is one of the best things you could ever watch. He looked like one of the most dominant players to ever come into the NBA. He just looked incredible. And then everything that happened with his jump shot, obviously that went sideways, the shoulder stuff. Yep. And then the torn ACL, he's now coming back into the fold and will likely embody a lot of the herky jerky and incredible decision-making stuff that boosts his game, but he doesn't provide pop in a lot of ways that, you know, other guards would. I'm curious. And James Boo is as well. What you think of his fit in Toronto? I I'd love to see him in Toronto, but I think his fit is uh, probably not great because unlike Fox, he's not like that dominant in terms of just always getting into the paint, always creating an advantage. Uh, he'll have his moments for sure. And uh, he's, he's a pretty good pick and roll player. So maybe like when Fred's off the floor, you have somebody out there who can run the offense a bit. But in terms of just the shooting, it's pretty hard to get over. Uh, because right now the, the Raptors are already being zone defense to death. And I don't know if, uh, if Markel as good as he is, could overcome that. Uh, he is, I can't say enough good things about him, but like, I feel like the fit is, this is not the team for him to grow more. Mm -hmm. Well, it's interesting to think about his game, right? As you say, like definitely he's an above average pick and roll decision maker and passer for sure. Like, that's the thing is he, he makes great decisions and finds winning decisions. But who is his partner to run that with on the Raptors? And if it's Chris Boucher, who's spacing the floor? And if you look at who's spacing the floor, would you rather those people be on ball? That's the question. Markel Fultz next to a bench. Like, let's say they run a bench lineup and it's Pascal, Markel, Precious, Boucher, and like Justin Champagne or something like that. Is a pick and roll going to work because of how much teams are going to be able to dig in one pass away and not pay for it? Probably not. It's going to be a really, really difficult context for Markel to fit in. I would love to see him get a shot with a team that has like, you know, a decent amount of spacing and has like, you know, kind of a silver bullet of a roll big. And just to see him kind of get back into the swing of things, being able to throw passes and stuff and maybe turn the corner because of the role gravity and his own athleticism. He's like his length. He's a great finisher too. So I think uh, that's probably ideal for Markel. And I don't, I don't want the Raptors to have Markel just to have Markel. I want Markel to pursue and be allowed the, the best team for, for him. Markel. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I yes. think, yeah, the, the Markel the Raptors stuff are like, really confident about their jumper development they're like oh yeah we can fix them right up <laughs> yeah it it's certainly like i guess it's norm norm 
Um, Fred to some degree, but Fred was really, really cold coming into the NBA, but he's been a shooter, like not to this degree, obviously. And, you know, they famously kind of walked away from Fred's jumper and said, we don't want to tweak that really because it's already so funky and like the side spin that he puts on it, you start to tweak things could get really hairy really fast. But I think like, yeah. And OG started shooting as soon as he came into the NBA. Like I think he was what, 37, 38% his rookie year. So was that done prior to the season? Like did the Raptors fix his jumper in like, you know, 14 days of training camp or something like that? Who knows really? Yeah, but, you know, the jumper stuff, I think, is an interesting conversation. You know, once the Raptors have coaches who are retired or who who want to put the the recipes out into the world, I wonder what that'll look like. But um, especially, like, development guys, right? Otherwise, Could you, could it's you just, say, uh, sorry, uh, could you say that uh, Pascal's mid-range development is a feather in their cap? Hmm. You know, I think it's a feather in his cap, obviously. Like, but yeah, it's really interesting. Is like, is this because Nick Nurse has his 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 shooting? You know, he has his little his little program, and he it's has twelve step all, program. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he has like his that, yeah. yeah, he has his program, and then you know, the, just because like Raptors players have shot well, you know, they don't anymore, but they have in the, <laughs> in the past. You know, there's kind of this idea that oh, the the Raptor, especially around the championship, right? Like there was this high that the Raptors could just take anybody's jump shot and just make it immediately good. And, you know, especially when you take in the context of like, what did they do pre-draft and where did these players come from? And then you look at Pascal, basically, you know, he shoots much better, but is that a normal progression for an NBA player? And especially a guy who has the, obviously like the potential bandwidth that Pascal does, like he, he hasn't just improved as a shooter. He's just, a guy who is able to improve a lot at everything. Like that's Pascal Siakam's whole deal. So is, are these players who have the potential to develop that stuff most places they go? And are the Raptors doing a great job of scouting that? Or is this just that the Raptors are able to put anybody into the gym, Goose or myself, and we come out as like a bona fide NBA shooter? I think that's a really interesting conversation. But I, I don't think they would solve Markel. I, I think that would be like maybe hubristic, but okay. Uh, we'll move on to the the next part of it. And uh, so let's do the basketball philosophy thing. So Raptors and Cavs, the Raptors obviously playing small, the Cavs playing big, the, the two towers in Mobley, Jared Allen. Sometimes and, three. Right. Yeah, exactly. Sometimes three with uh, Lowry. And um, you look at, the way they play the game, they play it huge. And there have been some teams that have gone jumbo, the Raptors being one of them on the way to a championship. And the Raptors are jumbo in some respects this year while also being small. Uh, do you have any basketball philosophy takes in regards to those guys? Well, I think when James asked is, do you need the threes for a strong offense? I feel like you need like a baseline of threes, but I don't think you have to be like, this elite shooting team. Although obviously shooting always helps. Like any, if you look at any, any, any fan base, there was like, Oh, we just need more shooting at the deadline. So there's always like, Oh, we could use more shooting, but I feel like the interesting question now at this point in the NBA is that who is taking the threes? Because before, well, before this year, the bucks and the Raptors were some of the teams to go like, you know what? 
there's a lot of mediocre shooters shooting threes. Let's just let them. <laughs> and uh, the Bucks didn't let them shoot in the corner like the Raptors do. But the uh, it's kind of the same philosophy where sometimes a three is not the best thing that you can get. Like if we look at the, th- the teams that shoot the most threes in the league right now, I think the Jazz are number one. And they're also the number one offense. So you can't say that the threes don't matter. But if you look at number two, it's the Timberwolves and they're a below average offense. So you're like, okay, well, there's not a, it's not like a one, one correlation causation here. It's just shoot more threes. is isn't a catch all. You should play more to what you have. And I think the Raptors and the Cavs have done a good job of that, but it also results in their offense being like ugly sometimes because they don't have the same ceiling that these shooting teams do. Mm-hmm. Well, there's the Raptors basically are a great team for this, right? Is that the Raptors have played a lot of extreme basketball the past few years. When you look at Kyle Lowry's last year with the Raptors, or the last two years, let's say, because the 2019-20 season, where the Raptors had the most ideal mix of rim and three-pointers, basically achieving Mori ball because, you know, it's funny, Daryl Mori traded away Kyle Lowry, and Kyle Lowry was the point guard he was searching for every single year in Houston that was going to, you know, yes. obviously Chris, Chris Paul, that Houston team, They should have won the championship. That team is one of the greatest teams of all time to me. Not everybody has to agree, but they created something truly special that year. And, but a lot of other years, you look at like when Russ came in or prior to that, Kyle Lowry would have been the exact guy to play out Daryl Morey's offensive ethos as far as decision-making and the types of shots he can create for teammates. And the Raptors they went from being the team that played the most ideal version of basketball by the analytics. And then they went to being this, which is just, it is analytics, but in the dirtiest, grossest way possible. Like you're throwing stuff at the rim and then you're throwing four bodies at it and you're seeing what comes out and you're trying to get these extra possessions and maybe some putbacks, maybe some relocation threes and all that kind of stuff. And then on the opposite side, you have a defense that will allow the corner three because they want players to be passing up court if they're going to turn it over, which means that transition points are easier that way. Like that's an extremely funny wrinkle to think about, but it's something that the Raptors thought of like, okay, well they have to pass up court. If we steal the ball, it's more guaranteed points rather than, you know, vice versa and stuff like that. So that is really interesting. But as far as no threes, uh, I, I do think threes are maybe a little bit over fetishized, but as far as not needing threes at all, uh, I think that would be like classic, like James Boo jumping the shark. But I, I don't, I obviously James, I don't think you actually believe that, but I know you like to frame things in like the most extreme terms. So uh, I think you're onto something as far as like our threes maybe thought of as more important than they are perhaps, but as far as like, do we need them at all? I think everybody knows the answer to that threes are good. They're pretty good. There's a reason people shoot them, you know, and, and some people are good at it. Maybe the best way to frame it is that threes are good, but they're not necessary. Perhaps <laughs> like, like like after a certain point, right? Because okay. like obviously there's like there's like a baseline somewhere. We're like, okay, we can't have this bad shooting, or else like I don't know, it's not 1990. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we have um, I think like two basketball conversations left, and then bird <laughs> stuff. Right, so bird, HJ. Bird the four 
Can you please address the idea of small ball? Is there any real life examples of it being successful or leading to a championship outside of, let's say, a team with Curry, KD, Clay, and one of the best defensive players ever in green? Okay. And so, and then I'll add like an addendum onto that, a second tweet. Find myself consistently frustrated with other fans who seem to think that rim protection, defensive rebounding, interior defense, screening and rolling, and other skills traditionally associated with the five spot are unimportant in the modern NBA not asking for Roy Hibbert. Okay, so I'll take the lead on this one because this is stuff I've written about. Um, it was kind of funny. Lewis and I, we did an episode of Minute Basketball, which was called State of the Big. And it came out the very same day that Jonathan Charks wrote like this huge piece on how small ball was the way forward. And obviously everybody could see in the playoff games and you know how teams have kind of shaken out since then. Uh, big men are way more important than small ball. I think that, and also as far as like, are some Raptors fans absolutely underrating rim protection, defensive rebounding into your defense and those types of things traditionally um, given like to be associated with the five spot? Absolutely they are. But your fans, you know what I mean? And not in like a pejorative type of way, but like if the fans are told, this is the team. This is what we're building. Masai, the same guy who built, you know, a championship roster and, and Bobby Webster, the guys who pulled off the Kawhi Leonard heist, those same guys are telling you we're playing without a center. Why not believe them and say what they believe is correct. This funky defense is correct. This funky style is correct. But as far as trends I notice league wide and what I find works, I think the Raptors, you know, their team construction is untenable. And I don't think this team will ever reach its full peak for those players on it until they have a quality five on the team. I think that's a very, very clear missing piece here. So that's kind of how I feel about it. And as far as small ball, I, yeah, I, there was one team that did it and they just happened to have four hall of famers and two of those hall of famers will have top 10 of all time player acclaim, whether they are there or whether they're just in the periphery. Uh, they're there. And so, yeah, I don't think small ball is tenable. I think it's something you can do in short spurts. I think it's cool to be an adaptable team, but I, uh, I don't believe in small ball as a theory on basketball. I still believe small. that bigs are important. Small ball is so 2017. <laughs> 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 the, the, the basketball world has moved on, I think. Uh, and I think the Raptors have too. I, I really do think that their big situation is more... Uh, like just them not being able to find somebody versus them. Like it could punting. be, yeah. yeah. But the other thing with that is that they punted on Rashawn, and like <laughs> if we're <laughs> if we're talking about how important big man play is, I think Rashawn is kind of like the perfect way to frame that discussion because I really think if we had if we had Rashawn this year, yeah, the Raptors would probably be like a top five team in the East, like what he does on offense is so important. Uh, we've already really talked about kind of how important it is to have like a roller and Rashawn is probably one of the best in the league in that regard in terms of just opening up lanes in terms of opening up, uh, extra reads, just having a guy to worry about lobs, uh, forcing teams to tag from the corner. It's kind of like, it just opens up a lot for your offense. And then obviously you have uh, defense. He's very good. I know people, would look at the Kings and be like, how can that guy be good? But <laughs> a lot of that is because of just the context in Sacramento, where it's just really bad for a player like Rashawn on defense. 
Yeah, definitely. It's uh, yeah, Rashawn is definitely the guy you and I are obviously super high on. I like I have people who eye roll at me about Rashawn because I've been I don't know what is it like two and a half years now that I've been saying yes. I want Rashawn <laughs> on the Raptors. And like there's, there's it, dozens of us, <laughs> dozens, <laughs> and uh, yeah. So obviously we're we're really big fans of. But HJ the four, I think like you give it, you gave us an opportunity to discuss something that I think is almost definitive right now. And certainly I do see the way that some Raptors fans do have conversations about like the center position. And yeah, some people are lower on the center position than they should be, or than I think they should be as far as what I think works in basketball at the NBA level right now. And so I think that's a really great, great question. And so as far as just like addressing the idea of small ball, uh, yeah, I think it is a, a factor in some teams roster construction and they can have some lineups that work, but I don't think that it should be the core thing that you build with because only one team has ever done it. And I don't think the small aspect was actually what made that team go. I think yeah. it was actually the outlier talent and performance at every goddamn position. Okay. Uh, or sorry, you have any more? Uh, if, if I wanted to say that if you don't think the uh, centers are important, I want you to watch a pick and roll with Precious as the role man. <laughs> <laughs> Go to like any other team and watch like what happens when JV is the role man and how, how, how different an offense looks. Yeah, man. Or like even just go to go to the opening minutes of the Raptors Wizards game and then look at the, you know, Daniel Gafford possessions. And then they stopped playing Gafford and they went a little bit smaller because they want to get like Rui and Denny and Davis minutes. And the Raptors just absolutely smashed the hell out of them because it fundamentally changes the way you're able to drive and manipulate from the middle of the floor. So, yeah, Um, interesting thing, of course. Really good question. Okay, from the Dunker Spot podcast, which is hosted by, well, not, sorry, from Josh Codanera at Josh Scoutum, quote, from the Dunker Spot pod, Boucher or Bamba, end quote. And so the Dunker Spot podcast is a, you know, a league-wide podcast hosted by Steve Jones Jr. and Nikias Duncan. Many people love it, critically acclaimed. Well done, fellas. Uh, Keep talking hoops. But okay, Boucher or Bamba, uh, do you have any leanings there? Let's, and let's do, okay, let's do potential and let's do current. And then All let's right. talk about it. Currently, I think Chris is better. I, I don't Hell think. yeah, dog. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you can really argue for Bamba. Uh, maybe if you want to just get into like, okay, well, having a primary rim protector would be so impactful that we can kind of overlook everything else with Mo. But if, if you don't believe that, then I don't think you can say that Mo is better right now. Okay, and uh, the ceiling play then? The ceiling play, I think, is interesting. I feel like Chris is probably already near his ceiling. He's not, like, the youngest player, and mm-hmm. I don't know if there's, like, a lot, a lot of growth opportunity in terms of just adding new things or, like, more impactful things to his game versus just being more polished and, like, reliable, which I think he's done a good job over the last, like, probably over a month now is just being, like, this good bench presence. But in terms of potential, uh, yeah, I think you could probably sell me on Mo eventually becoming a starter. But a lot of it is just figuring out his offense. And I don't know if you can have Bamba and Precious on the same team in terms of uh, two players just trying to figure out how to play offense at the NBA level. So I don't know. I feel like if they do trade for Bamba, it's fine. But 
if the if the goal is to win as many games as possible right now, that's probably not what you want to do. Okay, yeah, we're we're in the exact same boat then. You know, if you if you are punting on this year, then yeah, let Chris go get paid somewhere else this summer because if he keeps playing this well, then he will. And you know, Mo Bamba, obviously, if you want to have a guy in-house work on his development, you know, Mo Bamba has several outlier skills for his size and the size being an outlier, you know, size isn't a skill, but you know, it's, it's a pretty big deal. And so I think there's a case to be made for that. But as far as winning games this year, and I'm of the mind that the Raptors should be trying to win games this year, even looking at something, maybe moving up and making the team better at the deadline, you know, you can quibble about what they would give up in a trade, but I think that's something to look at. I think Chris Boucher has been a huge part of every single game that the Raptors have won or been close in. And I think that he has played the role almost perfectly of a guy who fills lanes offensively, his rotations on defense. I don't know if you've been seeing this too, Goose, but I find that they're actually way, way crisper than they were earlier in the season. And his weak side rim protection has been a factor as well. So I think this has been his strongest defensive stretch of his career. I think he's been a positive probably for the first time in his career. And offensively, filling the lane, being able to finish around the bucket, and then the three-point shot coming around, he's just been an immensely valuable bench big for coming up on, on two months now. You know, at the very start of February, it'll be two months of really, really strong basketball off the bench. Should he be starting games? No, but he's just been invaluable as a bench big. So, and and as far as Mo Bamba, I think you've probably watched more Mo than I have as far as, you know, speaking to the the ceiling or the potential. So I think that's a, a good place to leave it unless you have any more thoughts. Uh, I guess Chris doesn't have a, a really cool rap song. <laughs> <laughs> if, if that's your tiebreaker, then I get it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's true. It's important to consider these things. It's like, what, what are the social media branding opportunities that happen if, if Mo Bamba comes through, you know, what is Drake going to do? Right. Obviously he won't vote for the all-star game, but you know, maybe there's, there's work to be done. Okay. Uh, last basketball question before we get into the bird slash basketball stuff from Josh D at Mr. Banana slam. Great at Josh quote, <laughs> What ideal role player would the Raptors need to help complement their young core in the future? Okay, and quote, uh, Goose, who do you have in mind for that? An ideal role player. Who are we considering the core? Is, is Fred and Pascal part of that? Young core. Hmm. Let's leave Fred and Pascal out of it then. Okay, so if we're just looking at Scotty and OG, and I guess Gary. Malachi, of course. Oh yeah, <laughs> Malachi still exists. Uh, yeah, it, it'd have to be a big, right? Like, uh, this pod has been like the get a big man pod. But like, I feel like <laughs> I feel like that's that's the that's the easy answer here. Is just like a guy who can do what Rashawn Holmes does. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, are there are there any young bigs that you like in particular? Like. Oh, you know, Gafford is not young, young, but Gafford, I think, is a really interesting um, big if the Wizards are going to keep playing him only 11 minutes a game. You know what I mean? Like, is there is there a younger I, big? I, I, would, I would love Gafford on this team, but I don't think he can be traded this year. He's like poison pill. So uh, oh, one of my he? favorite. 
Yeah. Because oh. he signed that extension. Yeah. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Very good point. Well, Goose, I have really bad news for you and the viewers. Um, me openly pleading for the Raptors to get Daniel Gafford after the Wizards game. Do not adhere. <laughs> Don't listen to my advice. Okay. Anyway. Right. Uh, one of my favorite young bigs is Nas Reed, who, who, my, who our friend James has said is better than Cat. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know. I don't know if we can agree on that. But I, I, we can say that he's definitely one of the most skilled bigs in the league already, and he's like 22. So that's a guy. He's wonderfully funky, and I feel like he'd be a good fit on the Raptors just because like he's just a hooper, man. He's like. Post-ups, face-ups, handoffs. He's got a little Euro steps, little dunks, little threes. He's got it all. <laughs> yeah, like, Nas, yeah. Nas we, we have a meme for that. I don't know if you remember, but they don't know that I love Nas Reed. The meme. <laughs> yeah, they, they don't know how much I love Nas Reed. The only thing that he doesn't have that I feel like the Raptors could use is being like this alley-oop threat. Where he's kind of like... Yeah, he's more ground-bound. Yeah, he's kind of like short and not that bouncy, but I feel like everything else he does would fit the team well. It already fits Minnesota well. And like on defense, at least Minnesota and Toronto are pretty similar. So I feel like in terms of translation, it'd be pretty clean. And you're looking at like a really good offensive fit. So that's a guy I would definitely sniff around. But yeah, I just love Nasri. <laughs> I think he would be, there's a couple guys that I know you and I like that, the Raptors missed the opportunity or weren't able to leverage, you know, into an opportunity or something like that. Right. Uh, there's quite a few guys in the league who it seemed like could have been had or weren't being used very often. And now yeah, we had Malik Monk last year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Totally. Or Maxi even, right. It's like these guys who maybe were sitting on the precipice of being sent elsewhere because they weren't being used properly suddenly you know just because of circumstances on their team they grew into a role or another team already scooped them up there's quite a few guys who've switched either roles or locations that you know maybe the raptors they could have been really helpful and Nas seems to have a spot on that that timberwolves team especially once james is running things over there i think he'll have a a very featured role as far as what he does okay uh this one a personal one from our dear friend scotty barnes Caribbean grill at pack attack. Uh, so here we go. Quote, what's the biggest lessons you learned from evaluating this draft class from their college tape and how it is ultimately played out thus far. End quote. So this is for you. I don't evaluate the draft. I just, um, I mooch off of guys like you around draft time to teach me things. I, I, I feel like the biggest thing would be that maybe we overvalue college basketball in terms of how much it tells us about players. Like, I think with Scotty, that might have been what happened in terms of he had to come off the bench and he had to be, like, uh, more of a playmaker. And he played on a team that didn't really get him too many scoring act- scoring opportunities or maybe didn't let him show off his uh, skills as much. And I think the big the bigger one there would be uh, Franz Wagner. And I don't know if uh, people don't really watch the Magic too much, but if you ever get a chance and you watch Franz, he's been uh, really impressive for a rookie, especially his uh, ability to be like a this driver, which he didn't show at all in college, really, but he had in high school. And the, the thing there is that, all right, maybe we shouldn't just look at what the newest sample is. Maybe we should go back and see what they did before. Uh, even have like the magic are a good one. You can even look at like uh Cole Anthony and see like, Oh, well he's been hooping 
for uh, most of this year and he was terrible in college. So maybe, maybe, maybe we should expand on what we look at before the draft, not just what the most recent stuff is. I it's, it's kind of funny. You're absolutely correct, but um, nobody's going to accept that in regular media because it means that they would have to start uplifting the dudes who watch high school basketball. And they do not want to bring those scouts into like the, the conversation, I don't think, <laughs> yeah. which is too bad because those guys put so much work in. Right. But, you know, there's very much they like the guys who, you know, go to college games, watch, you know, their 240 college games or whatever, and then get their takeaways and that kind of stuff. And if you ask more, those guys can't start watching high school games or don't really want to. And then you have to start going to like people who actually watch the high school games for their opinion. And I, yeah. I don't think the I don't think the media like wants to stretch in that way, which is too bad. But I think that's the reality of it. Scouting is hard, man. It's 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 a yeah. lot of uh, it's a lot of bad basketball to get through too. <laughs> you know, it it takes a certain amount of uh, basketball love and willpower to do it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay, we're getting into the. Uh, the funner questions, I guess. Well, actually, this has just been a blast regardless. But okay, we're getting into the bird stuff. Okay, so from Freddie Rivas, which raptor would you most like to go birding with? Goose. What uh, What are we saying birding is? Like bird watching? Yeah, bir- birding, birding is bird watching, I believe. Bird-watching. And you know why I know that? Because Life. of that story of that lady who lied about the dude who was birding in uh, Central Park, and he was a he was a black man who was birding, and she was the white woman, and the that was the racial tension oh. stories were really selling. I don't know if you remember yeah. that, but that was how I remember what birding is because that was the first time I saw it used. And he's like, "I was birding." I was like, "What the hell is birding?" And he's just watching birds, just the sweet man watching birds. So, who so, do you want to watch birds with? That was that was that was a that was a Slumdog Millionaire callback there. <laughs> Uh, I don't, uh, guys I would want to watch birds with I feel like Scotty is probably up there I feel like he'd be really excited about the whole thing uh, maybe Delano Delano seems like a really fun guy to be around what about or maybe OG because I feel like OG would just be like a guy who randomly knows way too much about birds and just refuses to explain at all <laughs> yeah he, he definitely would have a bit where he like he knew a lot about the any type of like, what are they called? Like there's a type of bird called the booby or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> and like, that's one of his niche bits that fits into the most interesting man in the world umbrella that he has going. I think OG would be my selection. Definitely. Definitely. OG. Right. Okay. From, from our dear friend, Kai um, referenced earlier in this podcast, the man who hates graphs uh, also has been heard on this podcast a couple weeks ago. Uh, quote, is his favorite animal even a bird? Or is he like a dog slash cat loving fraud? End quote. Goose allegations. What's up? <laughs> is is it being a fraud to love more than one thing? Uh, don't he don't told his girlfriend? <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, you know what? Uh, yeah, my favorite animal. I don't know if I have a favorite. Uh, yeah, sure. Let's go with uh, let's go with the bird. I would. Nobody would go on the internet and lie. So, <laughs> <laughs> what what bird? What. Well, uh, he got me. <laughs> I I used I used to have I used to have pet pet uh, in Pakistan. You know, I lived in Pakistan for a bit, so uh, we used to have like there used to be a guy on the street 
and he would just sell these like dyed little uh, chicks like chicken babies so you could just go up and buy like a couple of chicken babies to just play with and uh they wouldn't live very long but it, it was it was probably like the only pet i've ever had is these like little colorful little chicken babies oh wow so, so you so yeah. they're like you'd witness their life cycle repeatedly like these birds come into your life you're like hell yeah and then they die bro they they would but usually it was just uh stray cats would come and eat them oh that damn the biggest thing yeah so are, are cats are you a cat or dog guy I'm, I I don't like cats now for Ooh. for obvious reasons. It, it helps shape you. <laughs> yeah. I see I see what it is. I, I think bird birds and cats are also diametrically opposed. I think they're villains in each other's world. So I think that that also tracks as far as the lore of hoop goose. Exactly. Okay. No uh, yeah. No cats. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, next one from Alexander McDonald. Quote: How can he justify his lust for De'Aaron Fox, given what we know? End quote. And so what we have here is a Google search of do foxes eat geese? And then we're seeing, you know, the returns are that foxes do eat geese. Do you have any any response for that? Well, well Alexander, they say that danger is sexy. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay. From Daniel Sherman, quote, are birds real? And why is the answer no? End quote. This obviously linked to the incredible and wonderful conspiracy theory that birds aren't real, they are just surveillance machines that the government uses. Do you subscribe to that as a bird yourself? Uh, I'm not legally allowed to discuss that. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. You have an NDA. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not allowed to discuss birds being not I mean, yeah, not allowed to discuss birds. Okay. <laughs> the reality of robot birds. <laughs> okay. And then maybe the most interesting, depending on how we answer it, from Sean Woodley, quote, what bird best embodies each member of the Raptors starting five? End quote. All right. Yeah. You want to, you want, you want to split it up. So, okay. Well, let's, let's decide who the starting five is then. Cause they've had a lot of them this year. Who's this, who's your let's, starting five? Cause I remember do... prior to the season, I chose Goran Dragic and that didn't turn out. So well. <laughs> yeah. Maybe if he showed up. <laughs> uh, okay. Let's just do the, the four and, so, uh, okay, let's do Fred, Gary, OG, Pascal, and Scotty. Okay. Yeah. You want to take, you want to take three? I'll take two. Whoever yeah, right. you don't name, I'll think of a bird. All right. All right. Uh, let's go with Gary. Let's, 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 I'll call I'll go with a peacock because. Okay. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's a, he's a flashy guy. Uh, he's very pretty. Uh, what else we got? We got, uh, how about for fred we can go with like an eagle because you know he's like this like cool like proud leadership kind of guy <laughs> this, is, this is off the off the top of my head so it might not make any sense uh one more uh okay how about how about for pascal Let, let's go let's go with like an ostrich <laughs> because uh they both are uh are like big and fast and they get like unnecessary slander. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. That makes yeah. sense. Okay. Um, for OG, I think OG has a longer wingspan than Scotty. Do you know that off the top of your head? They're both obviously. I, I think, long. I think they're pretty similar. They're both okay. like seven, two, seven, three. 
I think, okay, I think OGs is 7-3. So I'm going to go with OG, but an albatross, because an albatross has the longest wingspan of, of any bird. I think it's almost like, uh, I think it's between like 10, 10 and 12 feet, I think. And um, I, <laughs> and for Scotty, uh, let's say, I don't know, a, a pelican, so he can fit more beans in his mouth. <laughs> I don't know. More beans. Nice. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. So that's okay. So a pelican for Scotty, albatross for OG, and then we have an ostrich. Uh, what for, What are the other ones? We got ostrich for Pascal, uh, peacock for Gary, and the eagle for Fred. Yeah, that works pretty good. Is there like a? Could Fred be like a penguin? You know, penguin. Well, since maybe. he since he doesn't fly. Like and he's ground bound. <laughs> yeah, that's, you know? that's, that's probably better than mine. Pink. I do. Do they have like strong little thick pink? <laughs> <laughs> a hardy penguin. If, if there's a hardy penguin, a listener just assume that that's that's what Fred is. Th- there's a lot of land bound creatures that you can compare Fred to. Um, Drop like, your penguin facts in the comments. <laughs> yes. Yes. Any penguin facts are welcome. Uh, that feels like a podcast goose. Is there anything you would like to say before we get out of here? Uh, not that I can think of. No. Nothing? Not anything? What? Nothing to plug? You don't want, to, you don't want anybody to... to go to Darko.com and oh, yeah. uh, introduce the gospel? You, if you want to look at Darko, then yeah. We, uh, we, how about uh, we can talk about... I'll just do a reverse. I'm going to switch it up and plug Samson. Be like, hey... <laughs> <laughs> check out <laughs> check out what samson's doing he has some great articles coming up he just dropped one on zone and why the raptors zone offense sucks so yeah check that out yeah I'll, I'll take the opportunity to jump off of that actually um this friday so a few days from when you're listening to this i will have a piece that i think a lot of people have been interested in it's something i've talked about probably more than anybody else but it is the burgeoning um, synergy of Pascal Siakam and Scotty. And I will have a, a, a big piece on what that means for those two and how it's looked this year and how it might look into the future. So if you're interested in those two players or the success of the Raptors, I think that should factor in pretty well. And uh, as far as, you know, follows on Twitter, um, there, there are basically three people on Raptors Twitter. Well, I guess like four people, right? There's six man who his meme game is obviously extremely strong. And then there's myself, yourself, and Dana. So if you're somebody who kind of likes, you know, ridiculous memes and especially like on point, um, deep in the bag memes, um, Goose will give you that on his Twitter account. It's uh, phenomenal. But also you'll get just genuinely really great basketball insight uh, with whatever he's willing to share on the timeline. So he's one of the people I most enjoy talking to about basketball. And I don't know if he'll talk to you but you'll certainly be able to see the things that he thinks about uh, basketball. And like, I will, I will talk. Uh, the DMS are open as they say. <laughs> oh, <laughs> okay. There you go. You can fly right in there in the little chicken coop. Okay. Uh, yeah. Goose. Thanks for coming on, man. It's been a blast. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. Okay. And uh, yeah, big shout out. So listener, thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed it. This was probably the longest one I've done in a few months actually um, speaks to the, all the stuff goose. We, we always do long ones. Yeah. <laughs> Them's the breaks, you know, it's like you enjoy yourself. There's so much basketball to talk about. And, you know, of course you have to f- make time for all the bird stuff. Uh, you, how could you go without the bird stuff? So 
listener, thanks for tuning in, whether you got into it in the morning or at night. Have a blessed day and goodbye.